This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. My father and I would always have that exchange uh, because of ministry and life. We've basically been away from home for 20-some years, and so I'd always call my dad on Easter morning, him in his big bass voice, Dad, he's risen. He's risen indeed. I think you're saying Happy Easter to Santa Claus, but that's the way it just felt, felt talking to my dad uh, on the phone. My name is Paul. I'm the teacher, pastor here at House on the Rock. To our guests, uh, hello to you. To those who are watching online, thank you for being with us. We pray that you have a wonderful Easter also. Take out your notes, your Bibles. So it snowed this week. Yeah, that was fun. That was great, right? Wasn't that awesome? Oh, I love living here. One day it's summer. The next day it's Antarctica. Last week we're outside getting the property all ready for guests, for family, for fellowship, picking up twigs, and then, then snow. Whoosh. I'm like, okay. I clearly don't have control of anything. When we were working outside, uh, we were gathering up sticks and, and collecting them, and we have this beautiful uh, fire ring in our backyard that the church actually gifted us uh, one year, and we love to sit around it and fellowship. And Aiden was getting all the sticks in there, and we were doing what I found out was illegal, and that's burning stuff in the middle of the day. Did you know that that's illegal to burn things in the middle of the day? Yeah, yeah. Did you? Yeah. Go Troy. Um, <laughs> But because the, so Aiden is desperately trying to get this fire to start, and I just see him just waving and blowing. He's got the sticks in there, just trying to get this fire going, and nothing's happening. And you guys, it can be frustrating. I mean, sure, I get that. Blow torch, whoosh, you know, fuel, whoosh. You can do that. But Aiden's trying to be responsible, and he's got a little little lighter down there, and a little sticks, and just having the hardest time getting this fire going. Mom comes over with her super arm and the magic paper plate because that's just what she uses. When mom needs to get the fire started, grabs a paper plate, walks over. Ian's like, thanks, Mom. Mom turns around, walks away, fire. Gone. Seriously, kicks it. Because that's what you do when something doesn't work, right? You kick it, and that, that tells it that you're in charge. And it's supposed to it's supposed to accommodate. And Hayden tries again. I'm I'm getting in there. We're getting ash all over us. We can't get this fire up out. All we've got is cold ash. There's nothing there. Mom, whoosh. Mom walks away. Fire. Life ever feel that way? All you got is cold, dark, death, ash. There's no life. There's no flame. There's no fire. Sure, you look around. Other people, vibrant. Life is exciting. Life is awesome. Life is wonderful. But truth be told for you, it's just cold. It's dark. It's confusing. It's alone. Really, no one wants to gather around that, right? No one wants to participate in that. Oh, yeah, get a little campfire going in the background or go camping with friends, gather around the fire, right, and celebrate, and there's fellowship and there's joy. 
All you feel is cold. All you feel is distant. All you feel is apart. All you feel is away. And maybe you walked in this morning feeling that way. I know you're really good at faking it, and you've been doing it for a long time. And actually, you could get an Oscar for what you're able to do on a weekly, daily basis. Your coworkers have no idea what it's like for you on the inside. Your, your spouse has no clue how you feel on the inside. This morning, I pray that something changes for you. Because we're going to look at a story where it changed for a young woman named Mary. There's lots of Marys in the New Testament, lots of Marys around the Jesus story. But this Mary had just gone through probably the hardest, darkest three, four days of her life. She thought that her life was on a different trajectory. She thought she was a part of something almost magical that was occurring in front of her very eyes. Then it was ripped all away from her. And she finds herself with cold and dark ash. No fire, no flame. So take out your Bibles, if you would, and find the book of John. Sloan's going to have verses up on the screen. You can follow along if you like. If you don't have a Bible, there's little, very difficult to read ones on the seats in front of you. Uh, you can take that. You can keep that. Everyone should have a copy of God's Word. Or maybe you're looking on it on your device. But we're going to be in John chapter 20, verses 1 through 18. John 20, 1 through 18. And together, why don't we experience what truly is the magic of Easter morning. I'm going to start just reading the first verse. This is John 20, verse 1. Follow along. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early, while it was still dark, and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. All right, real quick. Uh, with me. Just some facts about Mary. Mary, you don't know anything about Mary Magdalene. She's one of Jesus' followers, has been for some time. The Gospels tell us, the Gospel stories tell us that Jesus had cast seven demons out of her. We don't know in Bible terms if that's the number seven or that's just a whole lot of seven. That's a whole lot of demons. It's just the way numbers work in the Bible. Either way, she has a lot of dark and difficult and pain uh, history. I mean, how do you get that inside of you? What is that like on a daily basis? The nightmare of walking in that kind of life. The spiritual angst and frustration and difficulty. Some could call it depression. Some could call it maniacal. Some could call it manic. But this was her life, in and out, Every day, to the point where you don't even want another sunrise to come because of what these demons do to you, what they do to your surroundings, what they do to the people that you know, the people that you love. But in a moment of grace, Jesus walks in and removes all of that from her. And she becomes one of Jesus' followers. Based on what the gospel tells us, she's probably a woman of means, wealth. It says that she supports Jesus' ministry financially, along with some other women. Jesus goes from town to town to town to town, speaking, ministering, okay? Doesn't pay real well. So she supports him financially, along with some others, providing food and means, lodging, whatever it might be. And while all the male disciples flee out of fear, she is at the foot of the cross when Jesus is crucified. She is with him that whole day. She watches it all. 
She experiences it all as the man who set her free is violently murdered in front of her very eyes. And then all four gospel accounts tell us she goes to the tomb before it's even sunrise Sunday morning. Jesus had died so close to sunset on Friday that they weren't able to do a lot of the Jewish customs that would be associated with burial, respect, how a body would be wrapped in the herbs uh, placed alongside. Uh, and so she is going back now, as soon as she possibly can, to do those rites of respect and say goodbye to her teacher, her rabbi, the man who set her free. And behold, what does she find? She gets there before anyone else, and she finds that the tomb is wide open, and the body of Jesus is gone. What happens? What happens? Let me keep reading for you. This is verse 2. So she ran. She went to Simon Peter and the other disciple. Just real quick, other disciple in this passage means John. Okay, this is John's gospel. John doesn't like talking to himself in first person like that, so he just refers to himself as the other disciple. Okay. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, John, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going towards the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. Stooping to look in, he, John, saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Simon Peter came following him. He went right into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there, the face cloth, which had been Jesus, been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went in. He saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. Let me just walk you through it again. Mary goes and tells the disciples they're in the upper room, hey, we don't, the tomb's open and his body's gone. Someone's taken his body. We don't know what happened. So Peter and John, they run for it. They run to the tomb. Now John sticks it to Peter a little bit and says, I got to the tomb before he did because I'm in better shape. Um, this is a side thing. I'm not going to refer to myself as John, but I do want you to know that I, I beat Peter there. John gets to the tomb first. Now, maybe it's out of respect, but he slows down. He does not go in. He stays at a distance. He can see into where the, the, the cloth is. They would have taken his body and wrapped it in long strips of cloth, fabric. Kind of think like a mummy in Egyptian times. Maybe it placed some herbs there, but it was a rush job. It was a rush job because of when Jesus died. But John stays on the outside. He can see in, but he can't see everything. But he stays at a distance. Okay. Peter, because of Peter and just the personality of Peter, is Peter going to stay on the outside? No, what's Pete going to do? Pete runs right in. I mean, this is the piece that says, hey, I'll walk on water. Pete runs right into the tomb, and he sees everything out in front of him. He sees the cloth uh, that's all bundled up in the heat, but he also sees this napkin, this, this face cloth that was draped over Jesus' head as a sign of respect. And it's not bundled up with everything else. It's actually folded neatly and placed apart from the other ones. And what's interesting is the word saw 
that, that, that Peter uses there, that is describing him, isn't like he saw it. It's saying he's trying really hard to figure out what's going on. I mean, John just kind of peeks in. But Peter walks in, he's like, man, I don't understand. And he's pacing, and, and he's looking, he's like, we've got grave clothes, body's gone. If they stole the body, why would they strip him of his clothes? Where's the body? Why is this face cloth all folded up? He sees it all, but he is so confused. He can't put all the pieces together. That's the way it's described here. Eventually, maybe he just hears Peter. John decides, I'm going to walk right in. John goes in. But it says, instead of he saw and believed, it's really technically he perceives and he believes. Meaning that John is able to put the pieces together. He can see what Peter couldn't see. He can see what Mary couldn't see. He walks in. He sees the strips of fabric. He sees the cloth from the face that's folded up. And he understands. Let me illustrate it this way. How many of you know what a stereogram is? There's no stere- Mo's chuckling because Mo knows I have an ongoing relationship with stereograms. And I'll enlighten you to that in a little bit. Mo, Sloan, could you bring, bring that one up, please? The stereo games kind of came about in the 19th century. Uh, a guy took a set of binoculars and he figured out if you put one image for your left eye and one image for your right eye and overlaid them, your brain would make it look like it's three-dimensional. Okay? And so that kind of went through a lot of versions. So when I was in high school, books like this would come out of all these weird patterns. And theoretically, and those of you who are children of the 90s are nodding your head, because you'd look at this book, and as you'd, you'd kind of hold it close to your face like this, and then you're supposed to slowly pull it away. And as you pull it away, your eyes kind of settle into it, and this other hidden image pops out of it. Okay, it pops out of it. Okay. So basically, people would have three experiences with these stereograms. People would be like, yeah, that's fine, whatever. Just Other people would stare at them like, man, Where's the picture at? Where's the image? I can't see the image. Because in the back of the book, it, like, it'd give you the answers, like if there's supposed to be a starfish riding on a unicorn or something. And you're like, I can't see the star. Wait, 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 wait. Oh, I lost it. And then other people, they just kind of knew and had figured out the gimmick, and they would able to say, oh, yeah, starfish riding a unicorn. Duh. What's wrong with you? They, just, they could fake it. They, they understood it. So you can see three different faces, three different types of people experiencing these stereograms. That's kind of what we have happening here at the tomb. In the beginning, John's kind of at a a stand back. Peter walks in, I can't figure it out. Then John walks in, he's like, oh, I see it, I see it. Can you guys see the image? Can you figure it out? Can you see it? I have no idea what it is. I can't do it. I have, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried. Put your hand down over there. I see, can't you, no, you can't see it either. Right. I'm just hoping it's not something like inappropriate for church. <laughs> I thought about that on the drive. I'm like, what if there's like a naughty thing on there and I am now broadcasting it to the world? Hey, can you guys see the image? <laughs> I, went, I went over and I was visiting my dear friends, the Ashtons, and, 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 and Mo comes out and says, hey, do you know what a stereogram is? I didn't know they were called stereograms. I thought they were just called pictures from hell. That's <laughs> and she says, here, can you see it? And I knew that, and she didn't know this, but I, I can't, I can't. She's like, here, you hold it. I, I know what to do with it, Mo. Thank you. <laughs> can you see it? Can you see it? I'm like, I 
can't see it. So, well, it's, it's Jonah and the whale. I'm like, yeah, it's Jonah and the whale. The frustration. You, know, you ever felt that kind of frustration? Other people can connect the dots. Other people can feel. Other people can, and you're just like, I, I, I can't see it. I, I, I'm not seeing what you're seeing. I think that's kind of what Easter is like for people. Oh, yeah, I see. Yeah, I see some of you really trying to slow and change the picture. I'm never going to get them back. <laughs> They're trying really hard to figure out what it is. Please tell me that it's appropriate if you figure it out. There's three types of people, I think, that approach Easter, and we can see that in this passage, and I think that'll help each of us. The first people are those who are, um, they're respectfully distant. Write that down in your notes. If you're watching us online, maybe just remember that or write that down yourself. You're respectfully distant. Why did you come this morning? You, you came because maybe somebody invited you. It was not on your to-do list, uh, but you want to be respectful. But to be perfectly honest, you kind of keep your distance. The things of church, the things of faith, the things of God, you kind of keep it at a safe space. You are John outside the tomb. You are not rushing in. You are not running in. You're like, that's fine. If you want to go in, that's just not my place. I don't do that kind of thing. Internally, you kind of watch other Jesus people and you're like, I, I just don't see what they see. I just, but I want to be respectful. I want to be respectful. Um, some of us are like that. Maybe that's you this morning. Thank you for being here. I, I think it's beautiful that you've joined us. But some people are like John. We're outside the tomb. We're just kind of staying safe. You're respectful. But you recognize that, that, that you are distant. That feels on the inside. You are feeling a coldness or somebody else is going to feel warmth as they approach Easter. You just, you don't feel it. That's okay. But someone else is like, Peter, they jump in, but they are dazed and confused. They're looking around like, I want to understand. Write that down. Dazed and confused. I want to get it. I want to understand. Where's the unicorn? Where's the swordfish? I don't get what's with the cross and why we drinking little shot glasses of juice and bread. Why do they dress up? What's with the Bible? They're crazy about this thing called the Bible. What's with the bathtub? I, I want to understand. And honestly, you're like, I, I want to get it. I just, I don't, I don't get it. I don't understand. And, and you, you charge in like Peter, and you want to get all that you can possibly get. But the, it's, it's confusing to you. Peter, he's looking at these strips of cloth. It's all wadded up. And he sees this napkin. It's all folded. And he's like, yeah, I'm not seeing it. I'm not seeing it. It's like me looking at a stereogram. Like, and I want to. I want to, I want to know. It's not, it's, it's not happening for me. I think more, for the most part, men are respectfully distant when it comes to the things of God and the things of faith. That's my experience. Maybe it's this thing that we call pride that we kick around a little bit, that like we hold on to. Um, we don't want to appear broken. We don't want to appear vulnerable. We don't want to appear like we need. And so we don't step into the things that hurt and step into the things, the, the space of death, the space of sin, the space of pain. We don't step into that. We, we kind of like to keep back a little bit. 
guys don't call me up asking me questions about their faith journey. Women will pick up, Pastor Paul, I don't understand this. I don't get this. Like, Pastor, like, what's the deal? So there's more dazed and confused from, from women. They're just able to embrace and ask more and want to know more. And I don't understand this, and I don't get this, and help me put this together. Women more are on that side. When it comes to uh, space of response and responding to the Holy Spirit, um, Women seem to be gifted by God to let themselves be vulnerable, let themselves be open, whether it's coming to the altar to weep, to cry. Maybe it's, we do this sacramental thing. If you've never been to our church, House on a Rock, uh, <laughs> I told Aiden, Aiden's on, my son is on the camera right now. He's like, you're not going to move, right? Aiden, I promise I won't move. I lied. <laughs> uh, we have this, this, this bowl of stones over here just to, just to give us a means of maybe there's something that, that God has said to us. We want to let go of. We want to put down. We don't want to carry anymore. And, and so uh, people will come, and, and they'll grab a stone, and they'll place it over at the cross. And you can see there's, there's a lot of stones up there. People have done a lot of business over the years. And that's a beautiful thing. Women really don't have much of a problem coming up and doing this. Man, they just cry all over themselves, cry over others, love to come up, pick it up, put it down. Guys, not so much. This is what I've seen guys do, and I've seen some of you do it. I'm not going to point you out. I'm just saying this is what I see us males do. You'll wait till church is over. And everyone's walking the other way. And I'll see you do this. And you'll start out, Aiden, I'm moving again. And you kind of like hang out over here. And I see you see the bull. Yes, I'm watching you. And you kind of like, hey, yeah, good Sunday, good Sunday. For those of you who can see that online, I hit the spot. I'm good. It's like, <laughs> but you guys, I, I know if I say, guys, do you understand what I'm saying? I know you're not going to nod because then you have to admit that I'm right. <laughs> but yeah, what, the result of those things is what? We don't experience the fullness of the kingdom. We don't experience the fullness of the cross because the tomb in Jesus is arm's length. I think there's another option. I think there's a third person that, that gathers around Easter. And for them, the dots are connected. Let's write that down. The dots are connected. John first gets there. He, he keeps it a distance. He stays back. Peter charges in, but he, he can't put the pieces together. He, he sees the, the, the wads of, of the burial laundry. He sees the folded face cloth, and he can't. He wants to understand, but it says that John walks in. He sees, meaning he perceives. That's how to translate that word. He perceives, and he believes. He has connected the dots. There has been things that he has gathered around his spirit, that God has gathered around his soul, and it lets John connect the dots emotionally, spiritually, mentally. Some of you are here, and your dots are connected. You know what Easter's about, right? Like for you, every day is Easter. Every Sunday is Easter. You walk in the kingdom. You live the kingdom. You don't need me to tell you that Jesus is alive. You talked to him before you got here today. Kudos to you. And there is a flame and a fire that burns within you. It wasn't always there, was it? It wasn't always there. But you have learned to walk in that space and experience that space. It's not cold. It's not ash. It's not dead. It's vibrant and it's alive. 
to the distant people, you can be really annoying. Right? Because... Thank you, Mo. <laughs> Terry, I pray for you every day. <laughs> because you have something and they can't figure it out. And it doesn't make sense. To those who, the, you know, they, they're dazed and confused, you can be really frustrating. And, and there can be a vice versa because you see things that they don't see. And they want to. And you find yourself in conversations trying to help bridge the gap for them. Of those three, circle where you are. Of those three, circle where you are. You respectfully distant? That's okay. Dazed and confused? Like, I, I want to get it, Paul. I, I really do. It's just not happening, man. Are the dots connected for you? Each one is perfectly appropriate at any given place in our journey. Any given place in our journey. There have been times in my life where I have been on fire and vibrant and life has happened and I've gone to, mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. And there are times when God has led me through the valley of dazed and confused. Like, what are you doing? I don't get it. So don't feel bad if it's one and not the other. Like, I know I'm supposed to circle this one and everyone's watching me. No. Where are you? What is it that enabled John to walk in and see what was really happening? God had begun to gather things around John's spirit and John's soul, like kindling, like the smallest of tinder. The Holy Spirit could let it on fire. What were those things? I think one of the things that, that John probably remembered as he walked in the tomb and he saw everything laid out was Jesus' own words. Jesus told the disciples he was going to rise from the grave. He said it multiple times. Mark 8 specifically, I'm going to read it for you. It says this. Jesus began to teach the disciples that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes, and be killed, and after three days rise again. He said this plainly. You don't have to know Greek to understand what was that, right? I mean, you got that. He says it plainly. So Jesus sits them down, okay, having class. Class, like, Here. Focus here. You ready? Okay. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. They are going to arrest me. They are going to beat me. They are going to crucify me. Kill me. Three days later, I'm going to rise again. And like, I don't get it. What's he saying? Like, I, I don't, I'm not following. Like, do it again. Like, I'm sorry. Like, slow it down. It says... Multiple times in Jesus' journey with the disciples, he articulates the fact that it is part of his life to go to Jerusalem, to be tortured, to be arrested, all of those pieces, and three days later rise again. And he says, and he explained it plainly to them. Cookies bottom shelf. No doubt that might have been in the mind. John walks in. He sees the cloth. He says, Mary, no one took the body. He says, he actually did what he said he was going to do. He rose. He rose. So, you know, John, in the back of his mind, he's got, you know, Jesus' actual words. There, but there are other witnesses. I mean, I know there's lots of theological theories surrounding what's with the folded fabric. Um, and there are a lot of fun stories that make for good preaching. Uh, it's my understanding why the folded face cloth. 
It's a simple way of articulating Jesus got up. It was voluntary. It was ordered. And he did exactly what he said he was going to do. It's a sign. It's a witness. It's a marker. And it's all that John needed to see. Are there simple things in your life that mark, that cue you in, that God is doing ordered things around you? Like a folded face cloth. Some people call them coincidences. How many of you have experienced a coincidence? You know, it just, it just kind of worked out. Lucky me. And you're like, no. No, you don't know my Jesus. The way God orders things. Maybe you can think of some coincidences that you've experienced in your life. And you're like, that's, that's, that's not luck. Someone loves me. And he's really powerful. Maybe it's people. Maybe God has gathered people around you. And they just got their stuff together. And you're a hot mess. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm not, yeah, some of you are. Um, but I'm just saying, yeah, you, you look at your marriage and it is all of war and strife and he's walked out and she's walked out and you've come back and there's been this and this and, and he's been like, ah, and she's been like, ah. But you have this, this Christian couple that you know and man, they love Jesus and they're chasing after Jesus and they just don't act like that. They, they've got something else going on and it's love and it's grace and it's compassion and in the midst of death, it's like a folded cloth that's completely out of place. But you can't deny that it's there. A witness that there's something else going on. Maybe it's a coworker, Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a f- person in your family. Tinder, kindling around your soul, reminding you that there's a voice that brings life into the darkness. Whatever it was for John, it was enough. He saw, he perceived, he believed. But not so for Mary. Mary was holding on to a mistake. Can I walk you through another part of the passage? I'm going to start reading in verse 11. Mary is holding on to a lie that she told herself. And God in his grace is going to confront. Verse 11, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. The disciples had run back. As she wept, She stooped to look into the tomb. She saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. They said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I don't know where they've laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. She did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, the groundskeeper, Mary said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. For John, John had seen signs and been able to put them together. Mary is holding on to a lie. It's a lie that she began to tell herself from the moment that she got to the tomb, a falsehood, an untruth, that what had happened wasn't that Jesus had rose, but someone had broken and stolen his body. And there cannot be life that rises up until we start to see the signs and not the lies. 
in our lives. Will you hold on to that? Can you write that down? For life to rise up, for the flame within us to burn, we need to learn to see the signs of Jesus' life and not the lies. Not the lies. Mary looks. In the beginning, she sees they've stolen the body. She runs. She tells others they've stolen the body. She comes back. They walk in and leave. She is standing there outside the tomb, holding on to the untruth that they've stolen the body. She is living a false story. She's believing a false story. We all do it. I mean, let's not look at Mary and like, hey, poor Mary, can't you see Jesus standing there? We all hold on to false stories. Some of us are false stories of resignation, meaning you can't help me, I'm beyond help. We resign ourselves to the falsehood that we are beyond help. We put on a really good show and we dress up real fancy on Sunday morning. But Paul, if you really sat down with me and you really let me tell you the truth, there's just no help for me. I'm always going to be this way. Others, it's flipped. It's false stories of resolve, meaning I can help myself. I help me. I don't need your help. God, I've got it covered. God, I'm okay. God, do whatever your God thing that you need to do, God. I'm good on my own. And you keep people this way. Equally false, equally detrimental, equally deadly. I don't need help. Mary was so deep into her self-deception, she couldn't see all the signs in front of her. She couldn't see the folded napkin. She couldn't connect the dots that John had. She walks into the tomb. What's she see? Two angels sitting there in white. Why are you crying? Divine manifestations of God's grace. God putting an amazing revelation right in front of her. Could she see it? No. You guys know people like this? Like, do you see what God is doing in your life? Do you see that? She turns around. Who does she step into? Jesus himself. Why are you crying? Whom are you seeking? I know some say well, Jesus was like masking himself. And like he did on the disciples of the road to Emmaus. That's possible. I guess that's possible. I also know our wounds can be so deep. Our scars can be so, so painful. Our life experiences can be so crippling that even if Jesus himself stood in front of us, it'd be hard for us to see. Jesus alone tries to get our attention. It doesn't happen. We need to learn to see these signs and not the lies. Mary is missing it. And so something's going to have to happen. And it's what we call God's grace. Jesus is going to break through to her. Break through the lies and break through the deception. Break through the death. And grab Mary where she's at. Let me continue reading. She's weeping. Jesus says to her, Mary. Mary. 
Has God ever called you by name? Have you ever heard him here in the deep place? Not audible, but wherever you were in your deepest, darkest moment. Mary, your name, where you are, covered in death, covered in tears, and his grace cuts right through that like a match spark in the darkest of nights. Mary. I have. Have you heard his voice? Has she called to you in the middle of your tomb? I have. I have. What do you do when you find your Jesus again? Well, for Mary, it meant a big bear hug. <laughs> she grabs a hold of him. She's overwhelmed. I mean, let's think about it. She saw him murdered. She saw him butchered. She saw him beaten. She was a part of burying him. And all of a sudden, here he is. The story has completely shifted. And what does she do? She grabs on. She's not going to let go. She's not losing him again. This is the man who saved her soul. And Jesus is like, Easy, sister. <laughs> Easy, sister. I am not yet ascended. I have not yet ascended. Meaning that things have changed now. I am with you, but I'm not going to be with you. It says in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went to announce. I'm sorry, let me start in verse 17. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go to my brothers and say to them, Scaredy cats. He didn't say that. I would have. I'm ascending to my Father and your Father. Listen to that. Isn't that beautiful? Not just my Father, your Father. I'm ascending to my God and to your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples. What did she say? Say it with me. I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. It's God's pure generosity. It's basically how Jesus started his whole ministry. His opening sermon, when he began to preach, comes from Isaiah 61. Let me read it for you. This is what Jesus does. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, the opening of the prison to those who are bound. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes. For those who are mourning and in sadness and in death and in sin, and cover themselves with ash. An act of grief and repentance. Jesus says, I wipe all that away. And I give them beauty and wholeness. And Jesus' whole ministry, that's what he did. Everywhere, for three years, he is ushering in kingdom life to any who will have it, to any who will want it. 
spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, Jesus is putting the pieces back together again. And he's doing it again here for Mary. In fact, next week we're going to start a whole new series I'm really excited about. This is the part in the message where I pitch what's coming next. Okay? We're okay with Jesus healing our spiritualness, but how often have we not asked Jesus to heal our mental challenges, our emotional challenges, our physical wounds? And so next week, we're going to start a series called Jesus MD. We're going to learn to let God heal us in all areas. How many of you have been healed by God before? Yeah, yeah. Some of you are like, freaky church, not coming back. You're lost. I'd rather be whole. I'd rather be whole. Let me ask you a question. Why is Mary the only one who sees Jesus? Why is Mary the only one? I mean, why didn't John see him? Why didn't Peter? I mean, these are Jesus' inner circle. These are his friends. These are his buddies. Why didn't they see Jesus? Why didn't Jesus show himself to the leadership at the Sanhedrin? Hey, look what I did. Try, try, try again. Pontius Pilate, sucker! And they're like, why, why didn't, why is Mary the only one who sees Jesus? Easy. Mary was the only one seeking him. You must seek Jesus to see Jesus. You must seek Jesus if you're going to see Jesus. God said that if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with all of your heart. Was John looking for him? Was Peter looking for him? Mm -mm. Anybody else looking for him? No. Mary showed up. What did she say again and again? Where is he? Where is he? Where is he? Where did you put him? Where did you put him? Where am I going to find him? Where is Jesus? And so Jesus said, Mary, I'm here. What does Mary go back and say? I have seen the Lord. The life that was cold and the life that was grief and the life that was sadness and brokenness now goes back having experienced Jesus and is transformed. There is life and there is abundance. She went to the grave. She left running through the garden. She went there hopeless. She came out full of hope. She went to the tomb. She came carrying the message of life. This is what happens when you chase after Jesus. So to the one who's relatively, you know, I'm, I'm keeping my distance. I'm respectful, but I'm distant. All right. You're going to get what you asked for. Jesus plays respectfully distant. To those who are dazed and confused, awesome. You keep leaning in. Jesus will show himself to Peter too. Scare the snot out of him. But yeah. <laughs> oh, the transformation. So what do we do on Easter morning? We celebrate the transformation. From graves into gardens. Where there was ash and death. There was beauty and life. Amen.
Thank you for sharing your time with us, and we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came, and that's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life, and a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.